Specifically, God says our experience with him will create a powerful new energy inside of us, strong new motivations, and a bold new willingness to risk for him. Now, before we join Kenny, I want to invite all of our men in Southern California to the very first Dangerous Good Conference happening next week, August 16th through the 17th at Desert Rain Church in Downey, California. Now, to learn more about this free event, go to desertrain.org slash dangerousgood. Now, to learn a little bit more about this, check out this trailer about the upcoming conference. One spirit-empowered man changes many things. You see, Jesus walked into a culture that thought, thank God I'm not a woman, thank God I'm not a kid, and thank God I'm not a Gentile. That was the toxic male culture that he came into. What did Jesus do? He turned broken male culture on its head. If that's the spirit of the Lord anointing Jesus to do that in his time, what do you think God's call is on men in the body of Christ right now? God wants his sons back. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, what we do here, for everybody watching online, what we do here at Crossline Church uh, here in Southern California is, uh, is pretty amazing. But that, that's just the beginning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do what we do here uh, across the country and in major cities. And for those of you online watching in Southern California, for those of you in the room, uh, you're invited. And you're going to be my guest. And you can invite your friends. And you can come without charge. Um, I want to make space for you, bring people to the Dangerous Good LA event. I would love for all of you to be there because this is your conference. It's your conference. It's who you are. It's what you're all about. And if you're excited about being together with us here and the movement of men across the country, uh, I would love to stand with you and for you to join me, and for you to bring people that you think would benefit. So all you have to do is go to dangerousgood, or desertrain.org. We'll put it up at the end of the meeting, uh, forward slash dangerousgood, and just register. I have a reserved spot for you, for, for, for our team right here. Now, for those of you watching online, it's coming to your city. It's coming to most major cities in 2020 and 2021. And we're going to launch fellowships all over major cities of spirit-empowered men. Amen? And those spirit-empowered men, those spirit-empowered men are going to take territory from evil. We're going to rise. And we're going to bless. And we're going to give life. And we're going to enter spaces. And just like we have tables in here, there's going to be fellowships and tables launched all over this country, and every table is going to have a community assignment to go do good. And then we're going to change the narrative on men. But we're not going to do it with words. We're going to do it with action. Amen? Amen. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray for ourselves, and let's pray for this movement. God, thank you so much that you birthed the church through filling men with the Holy Spirit and transforming them. You told them ahead of time, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea 
in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Well, Lord, we all have a home city. We all have a region. We all have a country. And we all live in this world. And the same is true for us. Thank you for that prophetic word that you are speaking over men of this generation that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we will be your witnesses in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our cities, in our regions, in our countries and in our world. Thank you for the call that you have put upon men in the body of Christ in this generation to receive power and to shine the light of Christ. Lord, we pray for every man who believes in Jesus Christ walking planet earth today. And we ask Holy Spirit that you tell him who he is, that he is made by you, for you, and one day he's coming to you, but between now and then, he's got a mission to accomplish on earth. Right there in his context, in his life, in his neighborhood, in his family, in his country. And Lord, we're excited about the harvest of souls as spirit-empowered men relieve pain in small spaces, how they reduce the burden and load that evil places upon their communities, as they encourage and raise spirits, and God, as they reach souls through their actions and through their words. Lord, we thank you for this hour in history. We thank you for the call you've placed upon each of our lives. And I pray that you would raise up all sons of the king to take their place. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's men said, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, I want you to open it to Psalm 103. Hold that spot and hold a place in Luke chapter seven. We're starting a new series called Driving Forces. And you're in part one. Now I'm just gonna ask a question. Wouldn't you agree that when someone takes the initiative, when someone takes strong steps, when someone makes strong sacrifices to act in your best interest, it's encouraging. When someone steps up for you, when you can't step up for yourself, it's sort of like when I tore a tendon in my leg the day before I was gonna move my family and I was in the dog house. It's like, you know, something happens to you that you can't control, but you know, the person you're connected to, AKA your wife, she's upset. It's like, okay, there's my, my, my pack mule is now down. My mover, the guy who's gonna move big stuff, you know, the muscle, he's down. And here's the, the saddest part, because I tore my tendon playing football on Thanksgiving morning, and before I left the house, a prophetic word was uttered over my life. Don't get injured. Sure enough, your worst nightmare happens. The prophetic word that your wife speaks over you comes true. After you shrugged it off, you're just like, ah. And so I'm, I'm literally walking back through the door with the t- trying to work it out, trying to not look so injured as I am. So then the next morning comes and my mother-in-law and my wife are taping boxes and I'm standing in the garage doing nothing. What a great feeling. Doing nothing while the women are working. 
and I'm just, I'm just in the pit of despair. I don't feel like a man. And then I hear this low rumbling sound of a big, it's a big vehicle working through the gears. And around the corner on Via Zapador comes a flatbed truck with 20 dudes in it. Just, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, whatever. The cavalry came. They show up in front of my house and they get out. Oh my God, they, they saved my nuggets. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> saved my nuggets. But see, here's my point, sharing that. When you're helpless and you can't help yourself, and then someone takes the initiative, someone takes strong steps, someone makes a strong sacrifice. These 20 guys sacrificed their Saturday because I had a need. Man, that was like so encouraging. It gave me so much energy and love for them. It gave me so much hope, it gave me like new perspective. And that's how your, your journey with God is. God took a strong initiative, took strong steps, made strong sacrifices to act in your best interest, not just on one little practical level, but on so many levels. The question this morning is, what's your response to that? You see, powerful experiences produce powerful energy. Those, I'm telling the story about those guys on one morning. Why? Because it's so powerful to me what they did. And when someone does something powerful for you, you'll keep telling the story about what happened. Christianity is a story of your rescue. That's why we call it salvation. That's why the psalmist writes, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock. That's why the Bible says that he's rescued you from the domain of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his beloved son. I'll never forget that moment, the summer of 1982, when my life took a completely new direction, new trajectory. Why? Because I was saved. I was saved from myself. I was saved from my sin. I was saved from the bondage of the devil. And man, I was pumped up. I remember going to my friends who I used to party with and I said, I found it. And I sounded like a lunatic. And I said, you gotta, you gotta know this person. I mean, it's just like right out of the New Testament. And since I was life of the party, I know what they were thinking. You know, they're thinking, they thought I was on something. Did you go to a party last night? Are you hungover? What's going on? But then I started dragging their butts to church. And six of them got saved within two weeks. It's because I was so compelled. Everybody say compelled. Compelled. I was so compelled. It was a force. God had forgiven me. God had healed me of my sin. God had crowned me with love and compassion he rescued me. Guys, you know, we're all in that same fraternity if you name the name of Jesus. That's what God has done for you. He took the initiative. He took strong steps. 
He made the strongest sacrifice, and that should give you energy this morning. I don't know how you came into this Bible study. I don't know where your life is at. I don't know how lonely you feel. I don't know if you're going through health struggles. I don't know if you're waiting on a bonus, if you're financially struggling, struggling, if your marriage is in jeopardy. I don't know what's going on, but I'm here to tell you that God has saved you. God has rescued you. God has healed you. God has forgiven you. God has satisfied your life with good things. God has crowned you with love and compassion. And that's what we're going to read about right now. We are going to read God's word and we are going to worship through the reading of the word in Psalm 103. Are you ready? Let's do it together. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In Jesus' name. You see, when someone powerfully acts on your behalf, you can remember what they did or you can forget what they did. And that impacts your motivation, your drive, your energy. That's why Jesus gave us two ordinances for the church that we always do. We always baptize people after they believe in him as a public draft ceremony where we announce we've switched teams and we do communion. Because when we do communion, we recognize the sacrifice. We remember the sacrifice. We respond internally to the sacrifice. We re-up, it becomes a driving force in our lives. So the big idea for this series, and I want you to write this down, is my experience with God equals my energy for God. The Bible says that we have experienced amazing, supernatural, powerful benefits through believing in Jesus. And the purpose of that is that last phrase, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. In the Bible, what, what the Holy Spirit inspires prophets and men of God when they write the Bible is to create a picture of what God has done in their lives and what it means for them practically. When you have a powerful experience, just like I did with those guys who showed up on that morning, it, it was up lifting. That experience was uplifting. It lifted me up. I was here, but now I'm here. Now I have encouragement, I have energy, I have hope in my circumstance. And so when the, the psalmist writes, God's done all this, and he says, so that, I want you to circle that, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. It's this picture of getting lift. You're here, and then when I remember all his benefits and I start dwelling on all that God has done, and when I start remembering, he's forgiven me, he's healed me, he's satisfied my desires with good things. He puts a crown of love and compassion on me. I start to rise like this. And now while I'm walking on earth, I'm not living like a pigeon, a low flyer. I'm living like a what? 
I'm living like an eagle. Eagles live as birds of prey in a different dimension. Everybody say different dimension. Different dimension. Yeah, they, they can soar at 10,000 feet. They have broad territories. They can fly 300 miles. That's, that's their domain. That's their realm. They fly at 10,000 feet. They sit there and then they make the drop and then they catch the air and they just do this. They live in this different dimension. And so when the Bible talks about, you've had a powerful experience, why? It's because God wants you to live in a different dimension. He wants you to live in the kingdom dimension. That's who you are. If you're a child of God, you live in a kingdom dimension. Do I walk the streets of earth? Yes, I do. Do I live among men? Yes, I do. But I am connected with the most high God. And when I'm connected with the most high God, I don't, I don't live letting my circumstances down here on earth define who I am. The most high God tells me who I am. The most high God tells me why my circumstances are in my life and that they're in there for a purpose and that he can redeem them. The most high God tells me I'm using them. The most high God says I have perspective. You see, it's that, it's that 40,000 foot view. It's that view from heaven versus being in the weeds of earth. And so in this series, we're gonna talk about how what God has done for you, if you really internalize it, you should have energy, you should have encouragement, you should have hope on a daily basis, but it hinges on whether you're in a process of remembering or forgetting those things. And the devil wants you to forget what God has done for you on a daily basis. He wants you to think that your circumstances tell you who you are versus God. He wants you to think that your feelings tell you who you are versus God. He wants, he wants you to get thinking about your past and your mistakes and let those tell you who you are versus God. But we're not gonna let him, not today, Satan. We're not gonna let him do that. And so let's look at the, the five things that the Bible says God has done for us from this Psalm. And then we're gonna look at each one as we go forward as a driving force, all right? Write this down. The Bible says that God forgives me. That's a powerful driving force in the life of a Christian. It's central. I'm a forgiven man. My sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven. That's a driving force. In Psalm 103, it says, he heals me. He heals all my diseases. He will heal me, sometimes presently, 150% for sure, ultimately, physically. He heals me emotionally. He heals me relationally, psychologically. God is a healer. Let's say that together. God is a healer. He heals us. He heals all our diseases. Third, the Bible says that God redeems me. When you redeem something, you restore value to the thing that is redeemed. It had a value before its redemption, but not its original value. When God redeems something, he restores its original value. We'll talk about that in part three. Fourth, it says, he crowns me with love and compassion. God lifts you up. He puts you on the platform. You wear the victor's crown. He's raised you up into a new position. Everybody say new position, new position. Yeah, when you crown someone, they used to be in this position. Now they're in a new position. And then in the fifth part of this series, 
we're going to look at how God satisfies. He satisfies me. The Bible says that God has satisfied your desires with good things. God does good things for us. And you can, you can live in the gaps. You can be cynical. You can see everything you don't have. But can I encourage you this morning on that point just a little bit? Start thanking God for the things he has done for you versus being a gap person. Right now in this room, by his grace, we have breath and life. And we're breathing and we're here and we're worshiping the Lord in our fellowship and in our reading of the word and in our, our, our community. And your life is possible because God's grace allows it. He satisfies you with life. He satisfies you with good things. We live just for the men of Southern California. Come on. The rest of the world lives on two bucks a day. I don't live on two bucks a day. I'm, I'm blessed. If you have people who love you in your life, say, thank you, Jesus, right now. Thank you, Jesus. And if you don't, God does right now. Thank you, Jesus. So God satisfies, we'll get into that. He manifests blessing and good things toward us. So let's go into part one. We're gonna look this morning at forgiveness as a driving force. We're gonna look at what the Bible says and then we're gonna identify what kind of force and momentum it, it gives in our lives. And for the first passage, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Let's read that together. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So when you look at what God has done for you and how he has forgiven you of all your sins, write this down, forgiveness is the force for how I live. Forgiveness in Jesus Christ through the, his person and his work on the cross for me is the force for how I live. I want you to notice the language for Christ's love compels us. The definition of compel is that it forces you to do something. I was just compelled. You know, I saw that 55 inch 5K TV and I was compelled to buy it. All right. But you get the picture. You feel like it takes over. Right. Everybody say takes over. Takes over. Your forgiveness in Jesus Christ should take over your life. Look at the language. This is one of my life verses. Psalm 40 and 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, that those who live should not live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again, listen to this language, on their behalf, on Ron's behalf, on Michael's behalf, on Kenny's behalf, on RC's behalf, on Martin's behalf, on Jeremy's behalf, on Kevin's behalf. He died on your behalf. How do you respond to someone when they die on your behalf? You're compelled to live with a renewed sense of stewardship and responsibility because of what they did for you. It changes your trajectory if you let it in, if you let it go from here to here. And that's the problem. A lot of times we just don't like to feel 
like we owe somebody something. A lot of times we don't like to feel and watch a man get tortured and crucified. For me, yes, for you. And he died for all that those who live should not live for themselves. They should live for the one who died and rose again on their behalf. Forgiveness is the force for how I live. I don't know what your reference point for your life is, but I'll tell you what the reference point for my life is and what the game changer was in the summer of July, 82. I recognized that a man gave his life for me. And because he gave his life for me, I have eternal life. And before I get into that eternal life, my life is gonna be a thank you for the man who gave his life for me. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible says about you today. How are you living your life? Are you living your life for yourself? Are you living your life for stuff? Are you living your life? Now I realize we work, we live, we drive, we poop, we pee, we do all the normal things that human beings do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's your reference point for life. Forgiveness in Jesus Christ is my reference point. It said it should be yours too. Let's look at the next passage of scripture. I'll read it and then we'll unpack it. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger to the ground, with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Let's finish this scene together. Ready? Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on. Forgiveness is a force for how I live. Forgiveness is a force for holiness in my life. What I love about Jesus is the Bible says he's full of grace and he's full of truth. So they bring this woman and she's caught in the act, okay? Dead to right, she's caught. And it's just tension. How's he gonna respond? How's he gonna respond? How's he gonna respond? He's not responding. He's stooping, he's riding on the ground. They're like, how are you gonna respond? What are you gonna do about that? And he rises to defend and protect this woman. And what does he do? He rebukes the attack. He covers her sin with grace. But he doesn't stop there. 
he extends his grace, and because he extends his grace and forgiveness and mercy, he then tells her to live a new life. I love you so much that I can't leave you the way you are. So he tells her the truth. She might have entered into that sin through forces and circumstances outside her control, which is probably true in that day. You could, if a woman blinked at you the wrong way, you could divorce her in first century Hebrew culture. They created all these little rules that if you didn't like your woman, you could, you could consign her to a life on the street or she'd have to go live with a relative. And so many of the prostitutes in Jesus' day, they were prostitutes, not because they chose to be prostitutes. They were prostitutes because they were abandoned by broken men and broken male culture, which reinforced easy divorce. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus attack easy divorce. That's what men were doing to women. So Jesus rises, he protects her, but even in that circumstance, no matter how she got there, he, he protects her, he covers her with grace, and then he says, now, go and what? Have you experienced the grace of Jesus in your life? Has he stood and protected you from the accusations of the evil one that says, ah, he, he's not deserving of your salvation, he's not... Let the person who's without sin cast the first stone. But then he turns to you because of his grace and he says, now, go and sin no more. For my forgiveness is a force for holiness. It's a force to wanna learn the ways of Jesus and become like Jesus. Everybody say the ways of Jesus. Become like Jesus. See, that's what a disciple does. Someone who has been extended grace by Jesus is motivated and energized to learn the ways of Jesus and become like Jesus. By the way, that's the definition of holiness if you're a Christian. Become like Jesus, the Holy One. That's what the Holy Spirit's job in your life is doing right now through everything that's going on in your life. It's making you like Jesus. And as we become like Jesus, we become holy. Okay? Let's look at the next passage of Scripture and see what kind of force forgiveness creates. It's Galatians 2.20. Let's read that together. Ready? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. I want you to circle, I live by faith. You know what the best parable for faith is in your life? It's a word that begins with R. R-I-S-K. Risk. Paul was outside of Christ. Paul crosses the line and gets to know Jesus. And because Jesus has come into his life, Jesus is now redefining the risks he takes. Where Paul used to take risks in areas to get his own needs met, Paul now is risking in ways to get the needs of others met. Before, where he used to just kind of take care of himself so that he could be visible and powerful and influential, now he's sharing the gospel of Jesus and he's risking all for Jesus. Paul's forgiveness in Galatians 2.20 is the force behind the risk he takes. The life I now live, very interesting language. So there's 
the life he used to live, and there, then there's the life I now live. I live by faith. Woo, that's a risky proposition. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the core motivation. Jesus risked for him, I'll risk for Jesus. Jesus risked loving me, I'm gonna risk loving Jesus. Jesus gave himself for me and sacrificed, I'm gonna risk for Jesus and make sacrifices for Jesus, for the purposes of Jesus in my life and in the world. Does your forgiveness define the risks that you take? That's the word of the Lord this morning. Man, I, I started taking risks early. I didn't care who you were. If you had a heartbeat, I was gonna say, do you know Jesus? Because I was so compelled, right? By what happened to me. But you know, then we start getting sophisticated in our Christianity. And we're like, well, you know, not everybody is into hearing the gospel explicitly. You know, we gotta, we gotta share the gospel implicitly. You know, oh, you know, you're right. We gotta be sensitive about that. We gotta really be, to we gotta tolerate, we gotta, we gotta, you know, make allowances for, there's a Greek word for that, baloney. <laughs> if you're excited about something, do you talk about something? I love to play golf with my son. My son loves to talk about his gear. Shoes, clubs, you know, blah, blah, blah. Think about what you're excited about. Maybe you own a guitar. Maybe you, maybe you like tools. Maybe you like golf. Maybe you got a hobby. Then you get with somebody who's in your hobby or in your recreation. You're just like, hey, that's a nice club you got there. Where'd you get that? Well, I got this. What kind of loft does it have on it? Blah, 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 blah. You talk about what you're excited about. You know who I'm excited about? I'm excited about my Lord and Savior, Jesus. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm excited about him. I'm excited about what he's done for me. He's forgiven me. He's healed all my diseases. He's crowned my life with love and compassion. What do you talk about? That's convicting, isn't it? I'm excited about Jesus. But he's the force for the risk I take. And a lot of times we hedge our bets. We're like, oh, but I don't want to offend that person. You're not doing him any favors, by the way. If you say to yourself, oh, I don't want to offend that person, you're denying the core of yourself from that person. And if the core of yourself is Jesus is at the core of yourself and you don't want to talk about Jesus, who's the core of yourself and what he's done for you, you're denying that person who you really are, which means you're a fake. And you can't give the best thing about who you are to that person. And I'm not saying that we, you know, grab this like a sledgehammer and go, whack! I'm just talking about, you know, the most important thing in my life, the most game-changing thing that's ever happened to me, the thing that really took my life in a di different direction was when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And off you go, right? You don't have to be weird about it. But that's a risk, man. And that's a risk we're gonna be called to take. Our backs are to the wall. Culture's not gonna get more friendly to your faith. It's gonna get more hostile. And in this hour of history, your faith is gonna get squeezed out of you whether you like it or not because culture is hostile to Christianity. So your forgiveness is gonna define the risks you take. Let's look at the next passage of scripture, 1 Peter 3, 17 and 18. Let's read that together. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Wow. Forgiveness is a force for spiritual courage. My forgiveness through Jesus, who suffered and was put to death, inspires me and gives me courage to suffer for him. That's why Jesus, when he called men, he didn't mix words. If any man come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and let him follow me. But you know what? He's so aspirational and so inspirational and so actual in what he did as a man for me that it's real. It's not some abstract. He's a real person who lived a real life and he died a real death for a real guy named Kenny. That gives me courage to do the very same thing. I don't know if you guys remember in Braveheart, after William Wallace is killed, and King Richard, who watched him die for what he believed in, is now the King of Scotland, and before he lacked the courage to stand up, but inspired by William Wallace and the guy who died for his country and for freedom, the last scene is Richard leading the troops into battle against the English. And he says, fight for your king. Man, you know, sacrifice inspires sacrifice. Let's say that together. Sacrifice inspires sacrifice. Where's your spiritual courage today? Is Jesus in a closet? Is he number one? Is he worth talking about? Well, you know what? I go back and forth. I'm just a person. Sometimes I step up. Sometimes I retreat. But you know, I'm practicing not retreating more and more. It's like when the Bible says, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we, people who believe in Jesus, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. Okay, the Bible talks about shrinkage, men. I just want you to know. And just like we talk about testosterone and, 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 and having a set of body parts that reflect courage, and that guy's got a set of, you know what, right? The Bible talks about it in the, in the spiritual sense, spiritual courage. Like, God's man has a spine. It's one thing to have a heart for Jesus, it's another thing to have a spine for Jesus. It's one thing to go, man, yeah, Jesus, love Jesus. It's a whole nother ball game to rise and stand up for Jesus in your space. So forgiveness, the Bible says, the suffering of Jesus, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. Let's say those two phrases, say put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. When you exercise spiritual courage and step into spaces that God's calling you into for him, you will put to death a part of yourself that needs to go and you will be made alive in the spirit. There's something that happens inside of you when you stand for what you know is right. And you may suffer for that, 
People aren't going to pat you on the back all the time and go, wow, I'm so grateful that you decided to live for Jesus. Most people won't. But you know why you're doing it. You know why you're writing that check. You know why you're risking in the workplace to talk about what's important to you. You know why you're pulling over on the side of the road to do something for someone who's stuck and they need rescue. You know why you're going to be late for that meeting. You know why you're, you're, you're texting your wife and just saying, hey, I'm going to be a little late. I got to do this. Or you know why you're not going home at five o'clock on Tuesday nights and you're coming to get healthy at Crossline Church. You know why you're doing that. We're never going to suffer like Jesus. Don't get me wrong. You're never going to suffer like he suffered. But there's no suffering that I can go through on planet Earth that, that is greater than the suffering he went through. And I'm going to suffer. I know that. That's why he said, pick up your cross, man. Follow me. Forgiveness is a force for spiritual courage. Let's look at the next passage. It's a situation where Jesus is in Luke 7. We're going to finish here in Luke 7. Look at this vignette. Let's roll the film on Jesus with some religious dudes. When one of the Pharisees, religious dude, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. You get the picture? A woman in that town who lived what kind of life? Sinful life. A woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the religious guy's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Circle that. Alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, there's characters in this story. There's the religious guys. There's the, the, the woman who everyone knows lives a sinful life. Oh, and she has expensive perfume. Doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to make the deduction in terms of what she does for a living. She has expensive smelly stuff and she lives a sinful life. And then there's Jesus. So the woman who lives a sinful life and has expensive smelly stuff that she needs to have to live her sinful life. She says to herself, I don't like how I feel. I don't like how this, this shame on my life, I want to, I, it needs to go somewhere, but I have to bring a gift. I believe this man is the person to relieve me of my guilt and shame and indignity. What can I give him? She grabs the most expensive thing that she has. She grabs that alabaster jar of perfume. It's expensive because in the other gospels, there are religious dudes who complain that they could have sold it and give the money to the poor. And so you have this scene un unfolding where a perceived prostitute brings a bottle of perfume. It's bizarre because in that culture, she's not going in there. But her need is so great that she's just like, all, all she can see is Jesus. He can help me with how I feel. He can, he can take away. I've heard that he defends women. I've heard, I hope he does it for me. What, what can I bring? My very best. I, I'm gonna go and I'm just gonna fall at his feet and I'm gonna bring my very best and I'm gonna worship this man who I believe is God and who can forgive sin. I believe it, I don't know, but I'm gonna, bring, I'm gonna try. 
And she starts doing this odd, bizarre thing. And everybody's, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. But guess what starts filling the room as she, can you imagine this? <laughs> wow. She brings her very best to worship. And Jesus receives the worship. Only God can receive worship. So by receiving her worship, what's he saying? I'm God. And then it all unfolds. The aroma fills the room. Man, it got double awkward there. Now the aroma is filling the room. Grace is filling the room. The smell of forgiveness, the aroma of Christ, the deity of Jesus is just permeating. And these guys are so awkward and uncomfortable because it's challenging all of their broken thinking about who Jesus is, about who she is, about who they are, because they're actually just like her, but they don't think they're like her. Forgiveness, write this down, is a force for how I worship. It's a force for how I worship. Now, if you come to Crossline on the weekend, you'll see some crazy guy in the front row jumping up and down and pumping his arms and just not caring what you think about him. His name is Kenny Luck. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads to repentance. You know, the Bible says that he who's been forgiven much loves much. So forgive me, but I've been loved very much. So I'm going to jump up and down. And I'm going to raise my hands. And I'm going to give Jesus my very best in worship. I don't know about you when you come to Sunday service. But if you reflect on your forgiveness a little bit, you'll jump up and down too. Just a little maybe. Because not everybody's like me. We all worship in different ways. It's not about the posture of your body, but it is about the attitude of your heart, right? It's emotional. That's a, sometimes a dirty word when you're ministering to men. But Jesus was emotional. When Lazarus died, the Bible says Jesus wept. When he saw people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, the Bible says, and he had compassion on them. The word is splagnizomai. It means it's like it hit him right in the gut like a sucker punch. So it's not emotionally incongruent that when you feel grateful for something happening to you, for you to be emotional and be, be happy that that happened. We get happy when a dude on our favorite team scores a stinking touchdown. I do. It's very rare for a UCLA Bruin, but it happens. <laughs> what do you do? You know, we, we jump up and down about a lot of things. We high five about a lot of things. We flap our yap about all these things that we think are consequential. And, and then, then we come to church where we focus on Jesus. And what do we give Jesus? Man, I can't wait till these songs are over so we can get to the message. You just missed your opportunity to bring your alabaster jar of perfume. It might cost you what people think. Certainly cost this woman what she thought. Certainly might cost you, you know, your, your image that you've built. It's so carefully refined and, and sanitized and sanctified and, and tidy. But who cares? We're going to bring our best for Jesus, Right? You know, maybe that's a challenge for you today. To stop giving your okay to Jesus. Bring your best. 
bring your very best to the table, your very best worship, your very best effort, your very best love. Why? Because you're forgiven. Last scripture. We're just going to move on in the passage because in this bizarre situation, Jesus knows, okay, they're having trouble. The, the male processor in their head and heart is having a hard time crunching this situation. So Jesus says this, two people owed money to a certain money lender. We're in the same room, all the perfume, the smell, everything, it's all in there. And Jesus launches into a parable. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of who? Both. Now, which of them will love more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, very good, amigo. You have judged correctly. Then he turned to the woman. Again, we're still in this awkward, aroma-filled room. The guys are uncomfortable. Jesus is talking about this story of two guys. One owes a little, one owes a million. The guy who owes a million is forgiven his debt. And Peter says, gosh, I guess the guy who owed more he's going to feel more forgiven. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. So he's ergonomically facing the woman who brought the alabaster jar. So imagine like he's looking at her, he's looking at you. He's looking at her, he's looking at you. He's looking at her, he's looking at, guess what? God right now, he's looking at her and he's looking at you. And he says, you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has, has poured perfume on my feet. Let's finish it together. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Forgiveness, write this down, is a force for how I love. You know, people who know they've been forgiven of much, they love much. It's hard to... You know, in the parable of the debtor in the other gospels, Jesus expands on this and he says, the guy who was forgiven a lot, right, he's, he's not going and choking his buddy for the nickel that he owes him. But the guy who's been forgiven a lot after his forgiveness and he offers little mercy and little forgiveness and chokes his buddy who owes him, you know, a buck, he doesn't get it. This is a you don't get it parable. But if you want to get it, see that you're the person who's been forgiven a trillion. That burden that you walk around with has been lifted and set aside. Now, how are you going to live light? How are you going to live light? You're going to put burdens 
of unforgiveness on other people, if you're in this room or if you're watching online and you are in a position or place of unforgiveness toward another person, I want you to read the scripture again today. And maybe you need to step into that relationship or whatever and you need to go like this. And set it aside. Resentment and bitterness toward another person is like drinking poison thinking someone else is gonna die. It's killing you. Killing your relationship with God. Doesn't reflect well. See how powerful forgiveness is, fellas? That's why Jesus, in his last meal with the disciples, said, you know what? Do this in remembrance of me. Your forgiveness is something that he does not want you to forget. That's why we do communion. He doesn't want you to forget that. He wants you to remember it on a regular, consistent basis. Why? Because it's a driving force. Amen? So write this down. Remember often. Remember often how much you've been forgiven. You're the trillion dollar sinner. No reality show for that, but it'd be good of people then paying it forward and going out with the force of forgiveness and doing good. Then respond consistently. You see, you're given opportunities every day to live out your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Every day. You're given opportunities to let it be a driving force in your life, to be a giver of life and a giver of grace and a giver of mercy, to act as a forgive, uh, to, to love because you've been loved. You can't give away what you don't possess. And there are some guys who just haven't encountered the love of Christ. You know about the love of Christ, but it hasn't gone from here to here. Because when it goes from your head to your heart, it becomes a driving force in your life. And people will go, man, that guy used to love like this, but now he loves like this. So maybe you're not in, an, in a loving place right now. My suggestion is that you go back to the cross. Let's do that right now. Let's bow our heads and let's go back to the foot of the cross. And I want you to, to see the man whose shoulders have been separated to get his arms wide enough to have nine inch nails pounded through his hands that are bleeding to cleanse you from taking your hands places that they probably shouldn't have gone. Walk around to the back of the cross and you'll see a bloody back. It's still bleeding. And it's flowing blood to cleanse you from every time you've turned your back on God for whatever silly reason you did. Look at his head. Come around to the front again and see the crowns and the thorns digging into his scalp and the blood flowing to cleanse you from taking your mind places you ought not to have taken them. Check out the space right underneath his ribcage and the gaping hole. And there's this oozy, watery, bloody stuff coming out. It's because his heart has burst under the pressure of his crucifixion and it's mixed with blood. And it's flowing blood and water to cleanse you from taking your affections in your heart and passions inside of you 
places where you ought not to have taken him. Jesus, we remember. We remember. We remember. Transform us. Help us walk in the power of our forgiveness. Let your mercy and grace toward us throw up a shield to protect us from the shame and self-accusation and from the accusation of the evil one and the rejection by men. And preserve us in your love. And then, Lord, thank you for telling us that you don't condemn us, but that you love us enough not to leave us where we are, but to call us forward into risk and into courage and into holiness and into a different way of living. God, help us live better. Help us choose better. Help us trust better. Help us risk better. Help us worship with our very best and help us love better because we now understand the power of what you did on that cross for us. Let forgiveness be a force. Holy Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, remind us. Holy Spirit, drive us to live out our forgiveness in the open, in front of people, that God might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.